Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Finding Peaks. Brandon Burns, Chief Executive Officer. Excited to be with you all again. Uh, always love the opportunity to come and host, because I am your favorite host at Finding Peaks. I know that. Top three. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> at least three. within the top three, <laughs> yeah. but more in particular, the top one. Okay. Yeah. Me. Joined by <laughs> Chief Operating Officer Clint Nicholson, everyone. Also trained, certified, excellent therapist. We don't talk about that a lot we because don't. of his title. We it's don't. in the way. Yeah. Chief Clinical <laughs> Officer Jason Friesma, everybody. Does all yeah. the clinical things. Does them with panache, Plunk. I would say. Panache. Yeah. yeah. An extraordinary... Stuff. Stuff. Okay. Good. All right. Yeah, we're getting rid of words today anyway. So. We're, we're trying to be a little bit more fun here at Finding Peaks, myself included from the host position. I do some Q&A, and sometimes that comes off as a little dry, according to our viewers. So I'm just trying to pep it up a little bit to interact with you all better. And I'm listening. So keep those comments coming, Finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com. We hear you, and we love you. What we're talking about today here at Peaks for at Finding Peaks, excuse me, is this word addiction. And um, one step back before we dive into what we want to talk about here is that uh, the vision of Peaks Recovery has been to disrupt an industry through quality of care. So what does it mean to disrupt an industry? And the things that we want to disrupt today is to talk about the word addiction and whether or not it's a limiting word uh, that we use within our industry that's limiting opportunities as far as getting well. Um, for me, in particular, as an example, I think about when somebody says, I'm an addict, for example, or I have an addiction, that it's some sort of character trait for which they cannot get away from. Uh, I know we'll talk a little bit more about it. It was the thing that I wanted to kind of insert that within the DSM-5, addiction is not a word. It's not a framework. We don't call insurance companies and say, hey, we got an addict in care. Please give, give us dates of service. We're talking about things like dependence or using other language like substance use disorder. And so out of that, to kick this off with the first question, to antagonize the potential disruption of this language, how does the word addiction first and foremost benefit us as an industry before we move into maybe how it doesn't benefit us or where we see those limiting features. And so we're going to do a little little pro and cons here mm -hmm. uh, across oh, the board. And yeah. so yeah. maybe I think we start with the pros. Okay. How does the word addiction benefit us as an industry? I mean, I, I think, you know, addiction just in its name means basically an inability to stop some sort of compulsive or unwanted behavior. And... Um, and I think it benefits us because it is kind of universally understood what uh, addiction is. Certainly there are nuances in that sort of thing um, uh, related to addiction, but I don't know, that's my first thought to your question. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Cons. What's the problem Cons? with well, using I think the word to, addiction? Well, we're, we're still in the pros. Right. Oh, it's yeah. pros. pros, pros. I oh, got pros, it. I see pros. what we're doing. So how does addiction benefit us? I, um, yeah, I guess I agree with Jason in the sense that it's kind of a common language, right? It's It's part of... When we talk about addiction, it's generally understood what we're talking about, that there is this sort of attachment to something or inability to stop something that um, typically is skewed towards the negative, that it's actually causing a significant disruption in somebody's life, or it's an unwanted attachment to something or an unwanted inability to stop something. Um, so in that sense, I think it does, uh, there's some commonality and some, um, I don't know, familiarity with, mm -hmm. with that word. At the same time, I 
Can I go into the? No. Real? No. He's the host. No. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Lead in. You know, you can, yeah. you can yeah. steal the questions. We're, that no, 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 in the no, we're in the process. So, yeah. okay. so a little bit of backdrop here, and this is going to be wildly disruptive. Maybe for those who are really anchored in the concepts of addiction, that I am an addict. I will always be an addict. And if I don't have this language, then it moves me into a position of, you know, maybe. Uh, or opens the door to where, you know, negotiating, um, potentially having another drink again is okay. So I was listening to this smart guy at a conference. I believe it was the uh, National Association of Addiction Treatment Providers Conference. And the opening guy, uh, gentleman with a British accent, super brilliant, works for our Harvard University. He's a professor there. And he said, daringly, in front of all these clinicians and doctors and so forth, after five years of not using drugs or alcohol, you are at no greater risk than the general public of forming an addiction by having that next drink moving forward. And to be absolutely clear, this was not a guy up there stating, and the meth, and the heroin, and all that thing. I think he's negotiating responsibility and sustainability within his talk to be totally charitable to the situation in which he's describing, but he's talking about things like neuroplasticity, mm -hmm. of course, that informs that. We form new neural pathways, and so in those ways, addiction as a framework has been sort of disrupted within that time period. So um, with that, that's language that's sort of antagonizing this notion of addiction. Once an addict, always an addict. So how is this word now to be the con, to bring the con into this, actually disruptive or limiting uh, in this way? Because per what um, people more intelligent than me are talking about at these conferences are stating is that an addict today isn't always going to be an addict in the future or have the potential in that regard. So um, how is this word right now as it stands sort of disruptive and how do we see that disruption within, you know, maybe peaks or just in the general world and when we're talking to the patient demographic in front of us? Well, I think specifically within the substance uh, use world, addiction has a sense, like you've been alluding to, of permanency. Like it's something that is just always there and it becomes a part of your character. It becomes a part of who you are and it's something that, and this can go I guess both ways, it's something that people start to identify with and identify as, as an addict. And in that sense, um, it's sort of like a scarlet letter, but it's a tattoo. It's not something that you can rip off your clothes, it's something that you forever wear on your skin. And um, that starts to bring in the more shame-based narratives about addiction within our culture or within substance use and substance dependence in our culture, which is that it's some, uh, a moral deficiency, right? That there is something, um, there is a, a lack or uh, an inability to control oneself that is based in weakness, which is why you are this thing that we call an addict. So um, that's, the first part of my answer. There are multiple parts, but I want to give. Well, and, and in a way system. too, right? The anonymous culture, the thing we're trying to bring, bring to light, the 22 million, 25 million people in recovery, those sort of features remained in anonymity because, or maybe as a result of that negative connotation that was experienced by Absolutely. it, that we couldn't yeah. talk about it openly because of this character trait or flaw or however right. it was perceived. This is something, it becomes something that I am rather than something that I'm struggling with, right? And it, because of that, I think that we, um, the, using the word perpetuates those sorts of belief systems and stereotypes and that need for anonymity. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I saw you both look at me, so I'll go ahead and yeah, speak that's to this your cue. a little bit. I thank you. Um, I do think a couple things came to mind as you guys were talking. First being um, that it, I've been doing this long enough now to watch the word alcoholic kind of go from uh, a common phrase used, and now we don't use it uh, in a clinical sense at all. Do we say the word alcoholic or alcoholism? Um, because of that connotation, I believe, frankly, and... Um, and really because it also set apart other addictions or other substance use disorders apart from alcohol use disorder, if you will. And so um, we've already, we, we have some precedent in our industry of like moving away from vernacular that begins to not make sense um, or has kind of a pejorative connotation to it. Um, the other thing that I do think though that's interesting um, from the super smart Dr. Harvard British guy uh, is that even in AA, there was this sense, uh, there, there's a portion of the book that talks about alcohol reaching a point of neutrality, which I think is interesting. That's before kind of the neuroscience of it all. But even, even in that um, uh, older literature, there is, they do talk about reaching a point where, where you, like, alcohol doesn't trigger you one way or cravings don't occur one way or another. It reaches neutrality. People don't focus on that part a lot, truthfully, and, and um, I'm certainly not here to uh, defend all of that, taking on the cloak of I am an addict, I'm an alcoholic. I don't find those to be helpful at all, but I think it's an important uh, piece to recognize that even in some of that way older literature, in the first literature actually, they acknowledge some of that plasticity even though they wouldn't call it that um, by any stretch of the imagination. So that that's my initial thought on it. And I do think, <clears throat> to me, there is a distinction between the word addict and addiction. Mm -hmm. One describes a person, one the other describes behavior. And I'm, I, I mean, I'm easily in the camp of like, let's get rid of the word addict. Like, I, I don't love that. I don't love that terminology. I don't find that to be useful at all. Um, uh, in any way, I, I, you know, addiction, I think, is a little bit more challenging to un, unravel from our field. Yeah. I mean, I can, I agree to a point, I think. I. Um, I think we're, we're done. Thank you. I think we're done. <laughs> uh, it's a very small point, though. It's, it's like pinpoint. Okay. Yeah, I agree to a pinpoint on that. Okay. Uh, I think it's going to be, it, it's hard to get rid of that word. And I think a couple of months ago, I remember going up to you, Jason, and saying, hey, you know, in the future, what I want to do is have a program where we get rid of the word addiction. And there was a little bit of a, a moment of like, what the fuck are you talking about? Excuse my language, I wow. apologize. What the heck are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> it's a book. It's a book he read. There was a WTF moment. Yeah. And, um, but I think what I started to recognize over the years was uh, e even though addiction describes a behavior, it describes a stigmatized behavior, right? And it describes a behavior that we continue to separate out as different from other behaviors. Like it's when in reality, it's just another maladaptive behavior of which there are an infinite you know, plethora that people can choose from on any given day. And, and, it, and even more so, what it does is it continues to fracture the industry and it continues to separate out that, that addiction, the behavior of addiction or the behavior of substance abuse and dependence is somehow different and should be treated different from people who are struggling with mental health disorders. When in reality, they're all, in my mind, one and the same. Um, so in that sense, I think uh, 
that's when I see it becoming the most, um, not disruptive to the industry, but the most uh, detrimental to the industry. Well, I think, I think you bring up an interesting point, too, is that I think um, as a field, we've taken the word addiction and then actually try to keep expanding addiction into process addiction and gambling addiction and right. sex and love and pornography and, and food and, right. and all of that. Like, we've actually we've been working in the other direction, actually, right. trying to, make to make everything an addiction. Right. Right. But really cheapening the word, right. I guess, or, or late or... I don't know, making a stereotype out of the, out of the word in a well, way. And in so the like, process, missing the point of correct. what we're actually trying to address, which is we have a behavior that is, that is causing a major amount of disruptions in someone's life to the point of where it's become detrimental. I mean, that's, that's really, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a behavior. It's, we're, we're not looking at an addiction. You know, it's a, and we can look at any behavior. We can look at any pattern of thought or mental processes and, and say the exact same thing. But... Yeah, we, we start to label things as oh I'm yeah I'm addicted to TikTok I'm addicted to blah 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 you know and, and it does are. it it's, it, <laughs> it it takes away what actually that word I think initially meant which was to highlight that this is something that people struggle with and it's an illness mm -hmm. um, but what really as I think as we've progressed of our understanding of the brain and sort of um, neuropsychiatry uh, um, that we recognize what we have is a physiological dependence. You know, that's really at the crux of a sort of what we would call addiction, is this physiological dependence that begins to transform into a psychological sort of obsession as well. And then you get the, the, the psychosocial factors or the, the sociological factors on the outside, and you have this really complex biopsychosocial um, disorder that you're dealing with. And, but again, we lose all of that nuance when we just say, oh, you're an addict, or I have an addiction. Like we've, We've, because it's become so cheap, we've lost what is really a very, um, what is really a very expensive um, disorder that people deal with. And it's emotionally expensive, psychologically expensive, and sociologically expensive as well. And, I, and adding to it as well, <clears throat> as, as far as the way that I, I also see the language being disruptive is we have these concepts of addict and normie. So I'll yeah. walk into a situation at you know, Peaks and say, well, you know, I just have this experience behaviorally that I walk into a restaurant and I have two drinks, and then I sort of negotiate in that moment, third drink or you know, to water or nothing and go home or you know, take a cab or whatever the case might be. And somebody's like, well, that's exactly how a normie would think. And well, it's a behavior that I'm experiencing in that moment. Now, in a setting, maybe night out with the boys, we'll call it to you slapstick language here, right? Uh, maybe I'm celebrating you know, at, a, at one of my buddy's house or an event where we're doing a bachelor's party or something like that. In those situations, with the normie disposition, I might behave and have three or four drinks in that regard. And so, but in that, the behaviors are changing per the setting where Addiction, of course, is those behaviors are consistent through all settings and continuing to move forward. But um, ultimately, it, it feels like, again, we're talking about the behaviors of the situation. And I guess the thing that I want to say that is frustrating about this is it feels like when I have this notion that I'm an addict, I'm walking away from a treatment center. And instead of maybe exploring the relapse out of this subset, that it's this zero to 60 back to all across the board, you know, drinking, using, abusing drugs and alcohol, whatever it looks like, 
in that regard because through the language, the individual doesn't have the experience that I have any other choice than to actually do a different behavior or to participate in this in another way uh, in that regard. Of course, I'm not advocating for walking out of treatment and doing these things, yeah. but it seems, again, to be more of a behavioral issue than this thing that I am at the end of the day. Because a normie doesn't define in any sense of the term how many drinks I have in any given setting or whatever the case is. I'm also perfectly okay with getting rid of the word normie. Yeah, right. Well, and I think you know to your to your point, and I'll actually play a little bit of devil's advocate to you, uh, Brandon. I think that we have to be careful that by getting rid of the word addiction, we don't in any way disparage it or disregard the suffering that goes along with mm -hmm. with struggling with addiction, right. because it isn't. It's it's really easy to say it's a behavior, but it's a behavior that's motivated by something much more complex as well, right? Because you have this neurological dependence that takes years to navigate and to really recover and heal from, plus of all of the other external or, or physiological factors that might come into play. You know, there is value though in describing, like describing some people in our old vernacular of addiction, addiction, again, using the old vernacular, does tend to be progressive. Whereas, Absolutely. you know, you, your, your description of celebrating at a wedding and having a few drinks or whatever, maybe more than you normally would, it isn't on this progression, and, and I do think people that I've watched with substance use hit some sort of threshold, and then it becomes progressive until they get the help they need to treat the things mm -hmm. that are underlying the, the behavior. So I, I don't know. I, I think right. I, I don't, I don't want to lose track of some of this because I do yeah. think there is, there is some importance here. There are some nuance issues that do need to be But it, I think at that moment, to. Jason, is where it actually uh -oh, it's beneficial to lean into to the, that it is at that point neurology. It is chemistry. It is your body that is making something progressive. It's not your, it's not your attachment to the behavior. It is literally your body telling you to not stop. Like you don't, as we don't increase our behaviors, um, it, we're not going to increase those behaviors because we want to, right? Yeah, like it's not out of. Okay, I 100% I, I yeah. agree with what you're saying. I'm just saying it's, it's helpful to make sure we have that word For that sure. says, yeah. whatever that word may be, or a way to describe that, hey, it, there's a point that you'll right. reach where the neurobiology takes over and like right. you're gonna, you can't stop by yourself. Right. And basically. so at that point, I think we have progressive dependence, right? Okay. So I think that there are, and again, I, it's, you know, and this is the English nerd in me. Like, yeah. I just, words have power. Like, they absolutely have power. And the things that we say and the way that we say them, the way that we talk about them, absolutely impacts not only the way that people internalize and um, identify with themselves, but also the way in which they're treated in social settings and in treatment settings. And I think that if, by changing the language and really focusing more on, the, on what's really happening in, inside the body and then the impact that that has on the behaviors, we start to make it less about this person has something wrong with them. You know, it's not about this person is, right. is an addict, therefore, right. or you have an addiction and so you're different than me. Right. Right. And, and as well, too, I mean, just to bring back the normie language a little bit here, that I'm equally susceptible to the notion of an addiction or to dependence in this regard because a life event or whatever could occur or being at the bachelor's party, now I'm having excess drinks or whatever, and maybe some amphetamines fall, fall into the room or whatever, yeah. and I find myself 
doing it because I think oh, I'm a normie and then the behaviors and everything progresses from there and it is something so intoxicating that I end up, you know, getting involved with at that level. So like there's also nothing about normie dispositions that are limiting to the degree mm -hmm. that I won't form a dependence around something or obtain an addiction, at least in the way that we're talking about it. Um, so yeah, I just wanted well, to. And to speak the, to the us and them language too, like I've been asked hundreds of times if I'm an addict mm -hmm. working in this field by clients. Yeah. Because, and, and frankly, you know, I'm just like, whether or not I am or not, like it, it literally doesn't matter. Like I'm a human that has had human problems and like right. you're Absolutely. a human with human problems too and like, Let's move forward. Because right. um, it isn't that us and them thing. Like, it, it, it exists. I don't even want to use the word normally. But, like, it, it, it exists in the way that you're describing. But it also exists in the counter way, too, where it's like Absolutely. you're not on our team. Right. You don't. How could you understand yeah, this? Yeah, right. And it's really a matter of, no, I'm a human being, and I suffer. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and sometimes when I suffer, I do the, the way in which I respond to that is actually really maladaptive to my life and really detrimental to my life and actually reinforces the suffering rather than um, mitigates the suffering. So um, we all go through that process and that cycle constantly because we're human beings. But by saying that, oh, well, the cycle, the behavioral cycle of an addict is, or addiction is somehow different than somebody who's suffering from, let's say, depression or bipolar or even something is uh, like schizophrenia. Um, I, again, we, we, we create these, these huge separations and chasms between individuals and between what are really relatively uh, congruent mental health disorders, you know? Congruent in the sense that they, they're not as different as we may think they are, you know? They respond, it's, it's all about suffering and response in the end, right? So, and we can all do better at responding better to suffering. We can right. all learn how to do a better job of that. And the reality is that we're not all, as a, as a culture, I don't know that we actually really prepare people or train them or teach them how to do well in those situations. Yeah. If anybody's book hungry out there and just really curious about this, uh, existential and analytic philosophy uh, <laughs> will inform all of, uh, like he's, Quinn's speaking to my, my love language here. No, I'm because it's all aware. informed through that philosophy, and I think it's brilliant, and I think it's worth diving into, and it's worth discussion. It feels tedious to have this sure. sort of play on words, but words do matter. They do inform a lot, and we experience things uh, by associating ourselves with the language uh, in that regard. So I think we've uh, captured uh, sort of the benefits of maybe removing or thinking about what would it would look like to remove that word from the industry. So just curious, you know, how is dependence versus addiction language get us closer to our goals within a treatment setting? Maybe to kind of tie it up as a, mm -hmm. a final question here. What I, I think it, substance dependence doesn't have the stigma attached to it yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until we remove that language and then yeah. inform yeah, this exactly. language and then it carries, right? Um, I think that it, in removing that word, it also removes a lot of the limitations and sort of um, the about our understanding of addiction. We actually really don't understand a whole lot about addiction. We really don't understand a whole lot about mental health and about uh, depression and about schizophrenia and about bipolar disorder. I mean, we are so, we are still in our infancy in, in really understanding what's going on in the brain and the way in which that impacts our behavior that by getting, taking these old words and ideas away, it frees up the space for us to, to continue to explore 
and, and deepen our understanding of what we're actually experiencing and how to best treat and meet those needs. Um, it, it, it's, and again, like you guys said, there'll be a point where substance dependence, we're like, oh my God, I can't believe we were ever using that. That almost feels derogatory to a certain degree. And so we'll get rid of that language because we'll have a better understanding of what's actually happening and a better way to speak to it that is more honest and less limiting. Well, really, we're already going away from the word dependence. We're at substance use disorder, disorder. In, the yeah. in the DSM now, but right. yeah. Absolutely. It'll shift. It'll, it will. Yeah. And I think, and again, this isn't to, you know, I, I think for, my, for me personally, this isn't to take anything away from people um, who identify as addicts or who, or who recognize addiction and, and feel like that's a valid way to, to talk about what they're struggling with. I think that language has been used and is familiar and is, for a lot of people, very adequate and it actually feels right to them. So by all means, I think that there is a place for um, that experience and for that, um, and for that individual. I think it really, what it, when it's, it becomes the most um, problematic to me is within the setting of treatment, is when it, because I really do think that it becomes disruptive. It disrupts the industry in the wrong way. It dis disrupts the industry towards staying the same mm -hmm. and towards m remaining uh, in, the, in the realm of stigma rather than disrupting the industry forward. Yeah. Final thoughts, Jason? I think we laid it all on the table here. Okay. Right. I, we actually agree on a lot, Clinton. Yeah, absolutely. I thought we were going to disagree a little bit more yeah. about, <laughs> about where right. we, well, we have it. He did call me Jason once during this, like in right. really. Yeah. Jason. It was a yeah. very like weighted. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that there is, again, like this is, a, this is hard stuff. This is the part, but this is the part for me personally what I really is important because this is the future, right? We can't, uh, we can get really good at doing the same thing. Um, I guess for me, uh, as an individual, I'm not here to do the same thing. Yeah. And I don't think that you are, and I absolutely know that you are, and that peaks, that's what it means to disrupt the industry. Yeah. Well, and all of that beautifully stated, uh, especially by you two, maybe not by myself, but I go, it takes <laughs> me back to you know the, the Vista research things that I've, and, and Conquer Addiction episodes that I've done with Joanna Conti. Uh, in the past, take a look at them and all those. If industry outcomes have remained flat for the past 30 years at 33% or below in that regards, I and we are collectively, I think, continuously curious about how to disrupt those outcomes. Absolutely. And for the viewers on the other side of here, and I think you, you said it you know, uh, poetically in that regard, we're not trying to dismount what has worked for you or take away from anything that is nurturing around this language, but just to have a discussion about if we're gonna go from 33% outcomes to 50% outcomes, we have to explore things that are limiting features of our industry and language, the word addiction might be one of those things and that is simply what we are trying to explore today. So I appreciate everybody for walking through this with us, talking about something that's difficult. Uh, finding Peaks at PeaksRecovery.com, send us your feedback, thoughts, ideas, uh, inform future episodes, how we should behave in these episodes. Uh, find us on the Facebooks, uh, the Instagrams, but more importantly, the TikToks. Chris Burns, president and founder, doing an awesome job at screaming in the microphone and getting people amped up on recovery and would encourage all of you to follow his journey uh, on TikTok. It's very exciting as he explores mountaintops and so forth. So. Um, all that stated, uh, Brandon Burns signing off here at Finding Peaks, and we'll see you next time.